0: Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. There's a long history of non-Native people profiting from Native culture. Today, we visit a tourist attraction in Colorado that promises a glimpse of Pueblo culture it says dates back a thousand years. But it's merely a facsimile of the real thing and perpetuates offensive names and concepts. We'll learn about the best practices for public outreach from a Native perspective and ways the general public can tell the difference. That's right after the news.
1: This is National Native News. I'm Art Hughes in for Antonio Gonzalez. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt vetoed a bill aimed at increasing cooperation between state agencies and tribal judicial systems, particularly to get drunk drivers off the road. The bill won approval from 96% of the legislature. In vetoing the bill, Stitt claimed it is a wolf in sheep's clothing that hands jurisdictional authority over to the tribes. Among the tribal leaders criticizing Stitt's decision is Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma Chief Gary Batten. He called the veto decision petty and does nothing but hurt public safety. The former chairman of the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe faces up to 20 years in prison for each of three extortion counts after a federal jury convicted him of those and other charges. 55-year-old Cedric Cromwell also faces a maximum fine of $250,000 after the convictions, which also include bribery and conspiracy charges. The jury also convicted the owner of a Rhode Island architecture and design firm. The jury agreed with prosecutors that Cromwell accepted three bribes, including cash, to protect the design firm's contract to build a resort and casino. He's scheduled to be sentenced in September. Two years after it was first introduced, a bill to establish an American Truth and Reconciliation Commission on Boarding Schools gets its first hearing in Congress this week. The commission is designed to address the ongoing trauma Native Americans suffer from a century of abuse, sexual assault, and forced family separation at government-sanctioned boarding schools. The bill was first introduced by then-Congresswoman Deb Holland. The effort is now championed by Kansas Democrat Sharice Davids, a member of the Ho-Chunk Nation. In addition to the hearing, the House Committee on Natural Resources is taking written public testimony until May twenty-six. The National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition urges boarding school survivors and their families to submit their experiences to the committee. A group of law professors is critical of a federal appeals court ruling in March that cleared the way for a land swap to create a road through a national wildlife refuge in Alaska. KNBA's Trip J. Krause has more on the legal battle over the swamp.
2: In March, the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled 2-1 in favor of allowing a road between King Cove and Cold Bay. If approved, the road would cut across the Eisenbeck National Wildlife Refuge on the Alaska Peninsula. But a group of 25 law professors joined environmental advocates and filed an amicus brief in a lawsuit opposing the road. During the Trump administration, interior secretaries reversed a 2013 agency decision from the Obama administration to deny the road. The brief outlines policy and regulatory concerns about that reversal. The law professors say that the Trump administration's secretaries did little to prove a need for the road to reverse previous agency policies. They also say the swap violates environmental laws in the Alaska National Lands Conservation Act, or ANELCA. The professors, who represent institutions from across the lower 48, sink an en banc or full court ruling on the decision to allow the land exchange. Environmental advocates say that a ruling in favor of the road would create a cascade of regulation issues on so-called national public lands. For National Native News, I'm Trump J. Krause.
1: Native residents boosted Arizona's overall coronavirus vaccination rate, according to an analysis by the Salt Lake City Tribune of a recent Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report. The report finds Arizona is the only state where vaccination rates in rural areas outpaced those in urban places. Those areas have a high percentage of Native residents. The CDC finds Navajo and Apache counties had a vaccination rate that exceeds 86 percent through January of this year. Urban areas in the state stayed below 70 percent. Health experts told the Tribune they credit the high rate to effective messaging by tribal health officials, urging vaccinations to keep elders and others safe. With National Native News, I'm Art Hughes.
0: National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast
3: Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Albuquerque Hispano Chamber of Commerce's Convention and Tourism Department, providing complete convention and visitor planning services to Hispanic and Native American conventions. Information on convention and tourism services at ahcnm.org.
0: This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. At certain times of the year and for certain events, New Mexico's Pueblo communities welcome outside visitors. As summer approaches and social distancing restrictions continue to ease, many Pueblos are also resuming their annual feast day celebrations. With traditional dances, activities, and food, Pueblo feast days are a great time for people to experience elements of a rich culture in an authentic setting. In addition, there are protected public places like Mesa Verde, Chaco Canyon, and Bandolier that all have authentic connections to Pueblo people. However, today our discussion is spurred by places that capitalize on Native culture but have no real connection to Native people or ideals. One such place is Manitou Cliff Dwellings near Colorado Springs. It was built a century ago by non-Native developers using ruins from another Pueblo site. They pulled in as many as 100,000 paying visitors a year promising an authentic Pueblo experience. The average tourist might not know the difference. Please join our discussion today. Let us know what you expect when you visit native communities or historical sites. What do you avoid? Are there some experiences that are harmful? Give us a call, one 800 996 That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. We've got a full slate of guests on the show today, all of whom are uniquely qualified to talk about this interesting topic of authenticity and historical Native sites. First up is Raven Payment. She's speaking with us today from Castle Rock, Colorado. She's a member of the Missing and Murdered Relatives Task Force in Colorado. She's Ojibwe and Mohawk. Raven, always a pleasure to have you on Native America Calling. Welcome back.
4: Yeah, thanks. It's a a real treat to be here again and so soon.
0: Absolutely, Raven, you've been there, the Manitou Cliff Dwellings. in fact, I saw a or excuse me a Twitter video where you talked about it, and you started sure to hold back with what you thought of the place as always. you kept it real. What inspired you to go in the first place?
4: Um, well, actually, you're another guest on the call today, uh, Monica Snowbird, who is um, one of my favorite people on the planet um, was had heard about this. Uh, tourist attractions, so to speak. And when I use the, the term museum, I use that loosely. Um, so she was like, hey, I heard this place is terrible. Um, do you want to go check it out with me? And I was like, wow, that sounds like a terrible time. I'm in. Um, and we <laughs> hopped in our cars and, and met there.
0: <laughs> and what was it like?
4: Um, it was even more terrible than... I had even envisioned um I looked back at my Twitter thread actually um on kind of my initial observations and I forgot that I actually thought it was a completely just reconstruction um of just something completely fake I think what made it incredibly grotesque to me was that they actually ripped apart a structure that had existed down near the southwest corner of Colorado put it on a train and then brought it up here and they didn't reconstruct it in an authentic manner. Um, they just rebuilt the structure. And to me, that was just such a, a violation of, you know, indigenous people and the Pueblo cultures, especially because these are still living um, cultures with descendants who are still very much alive and well.
0: Well, and it wasn't even originally a cliff cliff rolling. I mean, these were ancient, freestanding Pueblo homes. They were taken apart, packed up, transported, like you say, reassembled in Manitou Springs inside a, a man-made overhang. They actually used dynamite to create this cave-like overhang. And then they used cement to stick it all together like Legos or something, right? I mean, it's just really not historically accurate at all.
4: Precisely. And what even, like... There's just insult to injury upon insult to injury, but in the cement um, mortar that they use to like put these rocks together, they have these pottery shards that they just stuck like haphazardly in the the mortar for like this uh, aesthetic feature, which again is just very um, egregious in my opinion.
0: Okay. Well, let's hear from Monica Skybird who is joining us from Colorado Springs, Colorado, where she is the co-founder of the Pikes Peak Indigenous Women's Alliance. She is Anishinaabe. Monica, thanks so much for joining us.
5: Hey, thanks. And it, my last name is Snowbird, but close enough.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Monica. Monica Snowbird. Okay. And, and Monica, you accompanied Raven to the Manitou attraction, like she mentioned, um, and you also expressed your thoughts in that infamous Twitter, Twitter video as well. Have, had you ever been to a place like that before? A pseudo-native no, Native huh? historical site?
5: Well, there's a lot of those, but this is probably the worst one I've ever been to. I've lived here in the Springs for close to 30 years now, and um, a good friend of mine um, recently passed away, and one of the things that he had talked about before he had gone is that he had always wanted to, to quote him, burn the place to the ground, because he thought it was ground zero for a lot of the stereotypes and racism that Native people face here in Colorado Springs. So when he passed, kind of in his honor, we went up there to go check it out and to see how bad it was, and it was surprisingly much worse than I had ever anticipated it. So when you drive in, um, there's nothing. I, I, we didn't see anything that actually stated that it was looted from another part of the state and brought up. The word they use a lot is preserved, um, not necessarily looted. And okay. they it- type in crazy loud flute music when you pull right up to the front of their the structure that they built there.
0: Okay and it's interesting that you mentioned that because I, I in, in a disclaimer we did reach out to the to officials there at the Manitou Cliff Dwelling to come on the show we did not hear back from them by the time we went to air today but I did read an article online and uh, the Manitou Cliff Dwellings operations manager was quoted as saying The relocation preservation is mentioned first thing on our smartphone tour for those who use it, as well as in our museum, as well as answered for anyone who asks while touring through the museum or gift shop. Aside from having a large sign, we do openly talk about it for those who miss that section of our museum. Is that accurate, Monica, when you were there? Was it clear to visitors that the dwellings are not situated in their original location and were altered with modern materials?
5: We went beginning July of last year, and none of that was at that time. I know that the museum has since hired a PR person. They've been getting publicity. Uh, I believe her name is Kate Campbell from Madwoman Marketing. So instead of hiring a a, a historian or an archaeologist or um, someone who could go in and help them correct some of these things, they hired a PR person. So those may have been changes that they have done since she's been brought on board or since some of the publicity around this has that's hit, but when we were there, they were still using the word Anasazi everywhere. Um, they had, mm. they still had a teepee set up. There, we talked to many people on their way out of the parking lot, and no one had any idea that it was not an original structure. I don't know okay. how the pink mortar didn't, um, like bright pink, didn't, didn't cue them in. But um, yeah, everyone we talked to really did think that it was an actual preserved cliff dwelling.
0: Now, you and Raven have mentioned the flute music, the giant teepee. Uh, I'm interested, are there other efforts in other parts of the attraction to be historically and culturally accurate? I'm thinking like the gift shop, the cafe, the museum, everything else. What's the tone there?
5: And again, I haven't been back since July, um, but that was not the case when we were there. When we were there, they had a sign that talked about how Pueblo people... Um, placed their dead in the trash piles and let their turkeys defecate on them to mummify them. Um, there were funerary items on display. Um, we we did address some of those things, and no one had any information. When we talked about all of this, we sent an email to the cliff dwelling manager back in July, and we've never heard anything back from them at this point. But they have a lot of replica skulls that have a little disclaimer that they are NAGPRA compliant. Um, They did take some federal funding for COVID um, that we were able to verify, which potentially could make them NAGPRA. Um, They would have to follow NAGPRA guidelines on that. And so, you know, of the funerary items and the ceremony items that they have labeled, we suggested that they repatriate them um, just out of ethical and moral standards before we even knew that they took federal dollars. Um, The gift shop was horrendous. Um, It was probably, and we've all seen really terrible Native themed gift shops, but this one had a lot of material that really hypersexualized Native women. There was a lot of books on shaman this and shaman that. Most We couldn't find any material that was created by any actual Native people, except one tiny little case of jewelry. But everything else was definitely um, promotes a lot of the stereotypes, the Plains Indian style things, and then a lot of made in China. But yeah, we didn't see any. And even the displays that they had related to the families that used to dance there um, were pretty exploitive as well. And I don't know if they've modified any of those since we were there.
0: Hmm. Okay. Raven, uh, if somebody were to approach you today and say, Hey, I've heard about these Manitou cliff dwellings. I want to go check them out. What would be your advice to that person?
4: Um, I would definitely ask them to refrain and spend their money at a more authentic Indigenous experience that actually um, has connection to community and gives back to the Indigenous community for sure.
0: Monica, how about you?
5: I would tell them to avoid it at all costs. Um, We have suggested that they basically gut their gift shop and bring in items that are made specifically by Native um, native people. We've suggested that they implement a native hiring preference, that they consult with as many historic preservation offices or tribal officials from as many of the Pueblos who would be willing to talk to them. Um, we basic, they, they basically need to gut a lot of it and kind of start over at this point. It's so problematic, I don't know how much of it could actually be fixed. And then they also talk about the founder or one of the founders, Virginia McClurg, I believe was her name, how she was one of the people who helped to pass the Antiquities Act. But from my understanding, it was kind of passed because of of her and the looting of the structure and the transporting it back all the way across the state. But, you know, currently you get felony charges if you vandalize sites like this.
0: Right, So right.
5: whether they did it currently or whether they did it in the early 1900s, what's what's the difference? And mm-hmm.
0: Well, listeners, if you want to comment on today's show, again, we're talking about pseudo-Native American historical sites, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We're going to take a short break and be right back. Crews are fighting at least two dozen serious wildfires around the country. At least one person was killed in a fire in Nebraska. Another in New Mexico destroyed hundreds of structures. We'll get a look at the upcoming fire season and review methods for preventing major destruction on the next Native America Calling. Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Native culture, traditions, and knowledge have considerable appeal to the outside world. That's something Native tourism officials know well. But some Native non-native entities excuse me try to capitalize on that value as well do you know of an enterprise that tries to cash in on native culture if so do you want to out them join our discussion we're at 1-800-996-2848 that's 1-800-99-native joining us now from the field is mary wiaki she is an archaeologist for the center of new mexico archaeology she is santa clara pueblo and comanche mary welcome to native america calling
6: yeah, good morning or I know, almost afternoon. I'm glad to be here. What an interesting subject.
0: It really is, and we're certainly glad to have you on the show. Mary, what do you think about places like uh, this Manitou attraction where ruins were transported hundreds of miles on the way, all in the name apparently of preservation?
6: I think because they were uh, outsiders during that time period, and, you know, the 1900s, the 1800s, 1900s time period, their word um, for preservation was loosely used in, in the term. I, I just find it really horrifying that um, science would allow, scientists would allow something to be removed and then uh, reassembled, and we don't do that now. Like it's just terrible.
0: Right. Absolutely. We've got a caller on the line, Kenny, listening in Colorado Springs. Kenny, thanks for calling in. You're on the air.
7: Yeah, this is Kenny Frost. I'm a Native American consultant. A little bit of history on the Manitou uh, fictitious site. The The uh, stone structure was taken from an area in the Durango, Colorado area long ago. And during that time period, the 1906 Antiquities Act had passed uh, prohibiting the destruction of archaeological sites. And the people were clearly in violation of that federal statute. The other thing which was also interesting was when they dismantled the uh, structure, prayer sticks, human remains were found within the structure itself. And You do have, uh, at one time, supposedly, hearsay says the human remains were on display at the site in Manitou Springs. And it's unknown at this time if those human remains are still there. There are replicas there. And because NAGPRA was passed November 16, 1990, and it is privately funded nigra couldn't touch the the place however there's a federal road system any federal dollars that is used by the fictitious uh, facility which has the fictitious site is then uh mandatory to follow fellow laws like the um Boy Scout, are your Boy Scout museum in La Junta, Colorado, the Kashari museum? That is totally private funded, and there are sacred items on display at that museum: prayer sticks, Kachina dolls, burial items, burial pottery. But we can't touch it because everything is federal. Privately funded and federal laws can't touch the Kashari Museum. I've tried and uh, I've worked in the protection of sacred religious sites, identification of sacred places all over Colorado and the western region. But I thought I would bring out that point that uh, this site is okay. basically a a very poor depiction of pebble lifestyle and is pretty much a slap in the face of the people. However. It does bring in over a hundred thousand dollars to Manitou Springs, under the name of tourism.
0: Okay, Kenny, thank you so much for calling in with those insights, with those observations. Um, Mary, when we hear about this situation here, again, these ruins were originally moved over a hundred years ago. Um, it 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 begs me to ask the question: Are Are there much better archeological practices in place now or do you still know of situations like this occurring even now here in 2022?
6: You know, uh, there are better practices by archeologists in the state of New Mexico and other states that I've had the opportunity to work with. Colorado is one of them. Uh, I think the, the changes are that they are bringing in Native American monitors and other, uh, and utilization of historians to tell the truth about these sites. And they're really careful and respectful of structures and uh, uh, human remains is a really, we don't even, you know, when we're working out here, we don't let anybody see them, we cover them, you know, we bring in consultants So consultation. Consultation is constant within our program. Uh, And then working in Oklahoma and working um, in Colorado, I've seen the same conditions. Now, Texas, on the other hand, you know, I still have some questions for them to answer when I go out there. But uh, uh, as far as uh, keeping the Native Americans uh, aware of what is going on and contacting the right ancestral uh, groups, we really stand on that practice.
0: Now, earlier in the show, we heard both Raven and Monica suggest possible repatriation there at Manitou, and the caller just a minute ago mentioned NAGPRA, and I'm not clear. Is it possible that some of those artifacts could possibly be repatriated by Pueblo people from Manitou from this attraction? It is
6: possible, and one of the things that would have to be done is we need to locate where they're being housed or where they where they have them and uh i was speaking to uh my director eric Lemlin this morning and i said well they're they're saying that these are replica uh pieces that are now being shown in there whether or not they're replica or not they're still human remains and that's something that we don't uh whether it's you know as a piece that's sitting there it's still skull it's still a clavicle is still something that was found in a burial and that's disrespectful uh, to me it is but i'm sure it is to others um, so i think there is a point of repatriation but it's going to take a lot of lawyers and and actually finding the, the location of where these remains are
0: okay we have another caller listening today in manitou springs colorado on the air Caller, thank you for calling in. Good
8: afternoon. In. I just uh, thank you for taking my call. I wanted to. Th- I live right next door to the Cliff Dwellings, and ironically, my driveway. I get the tourists that come up my driveway trying to find it all the time. So um, I just want to thank Monica and Raven for doing this because it does need to be done. And I want to throw my my name out there, and I'll reach out to you guys because I think you're going to need a lot of help with this. And as a community member wanting to do the right thing, uh, you're going to need a lot of help and a lot of community support. And I do want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I apologize. They didn't get back to you in July. I don't know why. But if it's going to take some community support, some petitions, whatever we got to do, because you are are spot on on this, and they should be given an opportunity to do the right thing. And I'm just going to say I'm here to help in any way possible.
0: So Don you're right there uh, next to the to the attraction so you see all the tourists coming in and out and in your experience the the people that operate the attraction are, are are they receptive to to some of these issues and some of these complaints
8: I want to give them the benefit of the de- of the doubt um, but everything has told me that they're not responding to emails and I do think that Raven and Monica are doing the right thing and I think visiting there and so I would like to give them the benefit of the doubt, but it could be you know maybe they didn't get the email, maybe they need some community, maybe we need to rise up in the community and let them know that this is important to us as as a community. So I can't answer that. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, they are a tourist attraction, but everything that Monica and Raven have brought up and Kenny is absolutely 100 percent true. But it's going to require organization. Like they're saying, a lot of attorneys, we're going to have to raise some funds to get this stuff repatriated. And so, yeah, I'm kind of rambling here because I'm a little jacked up on this issue. Okay. Okay, OK, no worries. we can do the right thing, but we're going to need some direction. And and I'm just grateful that we've got it started.
0: Well, Don, thank you so much for calling in. And Monica, I want to bring you back into the conversation because Don's comments were specifically directed at you and Raven. And again, um, you're not Pueblo, but you're certainly native and you certainly have some really strong feelings about this issue and, and a lot of experience. And, what do you think, just ac- across the board, you're up there in that area, you're in Southern Colorado, do you think uh, there is interest, do you think there's momentum amongst Native people there to pursue this issue further and, and really turn it into a movement?
5: Well, I think your your point that we are not Pueblo people is important. So we are not an authority on, this cult- on these cultures. We don't in any way want to represent that we are. Um, we want the Pueblo people to from any of the Pueblos to come in and take the lead, and then we will support them in whatever they want to do. Our issue as just being Indigenous in this community is how this promotes stereotypes about all Native people, not just the Pueblo peoples. And so, yeah, we do have a very active, very well-organized community that um, definitely takes on multiple intersectional issues on a very regular basis. So. If the if any of the pueblos wanted to spearhead something with that, we would absolutely rally and support them in whatever way that we can. And to answer his question of did they read our email, they did because I believe they called me aggressive in my email um when they talked to High Country News about it. And to talk to back to Kenny's um comment, I don't know if they had a a body on display at the Cliff Dwellings, but they did have one up until not that long ago at the Garden of the Gods. It was a mummified remains of a youth relative that they used to call Princess Moonbeam, but it was clearly a man, and we've asked where that where that relative is now, and they don 't answer and We have notified all of the youth folks um, to look into that because that's obviously not our place to to be involved. We just wanted to make sure they were
0: aware of it monica thanks thanks for that background. Mary, as a Pueblo person, um, is this something we need to get after? Is how serious is this? As, as collectively as Pueblo people, do we need to address this whole Manitou attraction um, in an organized fashion?
6: That, yes, we really do need to address this uh, matter. I I feel that uh, it is appalling, and I think it's sad. I mean, it just it it really hurt when I. Read about what was going on, you know, and the disassembling of a site. And uh, like um, Monica said, and uh, Raven said, these places are still alive. They still have uh, a life of their own. And we know, as and respectful, uh, looking at them, that we don't go into these sites. Or when we do have to go into them, we go with mm-hmm. respect, with love, and understanding of who these people were, um, to have them moved the way they did—it's it, just appalling, you know. And I think we, as Pueblo people, uh, and we say we're related to those uh, groups that came down and moved down into the Rio Grande Basin. We we left those homes, but we put them down. What we call—they've done their time in Waini, you know—they they're resting. Leave them alone, and here. Someone comes in who doesn't have any respect or have any cultural responsibility for these places. Decides they're going to move them out and create a fake uh, mesa verde for money. You know, it's. Mm -hmm. I I just think that the disrespect, and we should, as pueblo people, go in and do an investigation.
0: Well, it's certainly certainly something to think about. Listeners, one eight hundred nine nine six That is the number to call to share your comments. Mary, um, you know, I think about this Manitou attraction. And then I also just think about just some of these other, you know, I don't know what we want to call them, faux Native American sites, uh pseudo-sites, uh tourist trap type places. And, you know, if you drive along I-40, Heading west, you know, Western New Mexico into Arizona, you just see them everywhere uh, along the interstate there. And uh, what what do people need to know about these types of attractions uh, if if they're looking to to experience Native American culture and history?
6: Mexico is. We have the eight Northern Pueblos visitors guides. We have you can call the tribal historians direct or call the Pueblos direct and. Find out there are real sites or you're going to end up out at Fort Courage, out towards, towards the, uh, you know, headed toward Window Rock. And I mean, these kind of places fell apart for a reason. When you go through there now, they're kind of to the wayside and they themselves will someday become an archaeological attraction, but not from us. You know, uh, I think that places like, uh, even, well, sometimes. At one point, Klein's Corner was a little out of control with selling Native American items from China. Uh, so it's buyer beware, and the best thing to do is get the information from uh, the horses, the horses' mouth itself. Go visit a pueblo. Go see what our lifestyle is about. Go read about us or learn about us, and and ask questions. You know, we'll we'll tell you the truth.
0: We've got time to take another call before we have to go to break. We have Jacob listening on KNNB in Fort Apache, Arizona. Jacob, thanks for calling in. You're on the air.
9: Hey, good morning out here in Arizona. But um, I've been working as a tribal monitor the last four years, and pretty interesting. You guys should come on. We've found a lot of sites along the Sedona National. Park area all the way down to south of Tucson, an hour's drive south of Tucson in the East Central Arizona, the Copper Corridor, so called. But you know what you guys are talking about. We also need to look into the inner cities. They they have a lot of sites there that we've been able to go in and do some excavations. And like the lady said, the the sites are still alive. We've had fellow archaeologists, fellow monitors that have gotten sick when we've gone on sacred sites, uh, even artifact scatters, lithic scatters, where we've gone and started recording. Certain people would get sick, and we were taught how to do certain prayers. So we started sharing that and started doing that. And so on our daily treks now, every morning our group gets together and we do our prayer and go out and do a prayer when we end the day so that whatever we touch or observe up there in the field, we don't take it back to where we're at or we don't take it home to our family or anything. And, you know, it's sad to see, especially among tribal people, that they're selling a lot of these artifacts that they find out there, either on sites or somewhere they find it, and then you see it displayed in arts and craft stores, in towns or municipalities and whatnot. You know, something more should be done about that.
0: Jacob, thank you so much for calling in and and mentioning that and calling us as Native people out as well uh, in regards to doing a better job with this. So folks are going to take a short break. We'll be right back.
4: Support by the
6: Native American Disability Law Center. The Native American Disability Law Center advocates for the rights of Native Americans with disabilities, so those rights are enforced, strengthened, and brought into harmony with their communities. There is no charge for this help. More info at 800 862 7271 or nativedisabilitylaw.org who support this show.
0: We're glad to have you listening in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Is it Native or is it Memorex? Oh geez I'm showing my age. (laughs) Today we're talking about ways to ensure authenticity when it comes to visiting places connected to Native people and culture and there's still time for you our listeners to get in on the conversation. We're at 1-800-996-2848 that's 1-800-99NATIVE. What are you waiting for? Pick up that phone. Give us a call. Joining us now from Santa Fe, New Mexico is Patrick Cruz. He is the Curator of Collections for Museum of Indian Arts and Culture. He is OK Owinge. Patrick, welcome to Native America Calling.
10: Hey, thank you for having me on.
0: Absolutely, Patrick. And um, I'm interested in learning more and, and how can we help our listeners today for people that are, are visiting locations that claim to be authentic Native American historical sites, what can they do to verify their authenticity?
10: Well, one thing I would say is uh, look around and, and see if there's any other indigenous folks that happen to be visiting or working there, participating, uh, doing uh, demonstrations. That would be one thing.
8: <clears throat>
10: a lack of indigenous folks there, that's a, that's a giveaway.
0: The lack of an Indigenous presence. Okay, certainly. Um, is this part of your job, Patrick, as, um, with what you do with museum curating to to investigate places like this, attractions like this? Does this fall within your scope of work?
10: Well, working with the museum, it's more internal. It's more about uh, representing uh, Indigenous groups uh, and communities, but within the walls of the, the museum. Um but yeah, we, we do act as sort of a platform on the behalf of indigenous communities, especially local communities. Um but as far as going out, we haven't done that so much.
0: Okay. Cause I'm thinking like if, if somebody were to come across an attraction such as these Manitou Cliff dwellings and they're just they have their doubts, like you said, you know, there's there's no Native American presence as you suggest. Uh it's fishy, something doesn't quite seem right. Um can they reach out to somebody like you for further assistance or guidance with regard to to figuring out validating that authenticity?
10: Certainly, I'm I'm always willing to do that. Um, there's there's other curators uh, on staff and and at some of the other uh, state museums and uh, also certainly the uh, the different pueblos have uh, uh, like public relations type uh, positions uh, or the uh, Pueblo Indian Cultural Center there's a bunch of different places that they could actually go in and to ask those kinds of uh, questions.
0: And Patrick, what thoughts do you have on these Manitou cliff dwellings and how serious an issue do you think this is?
10: Oh, it's serious. (laughs) I, um, you know, the, the thing that, that got me first is that, you know, I really wasn't aware that such a site could exist. So they're, you know, they're not really out there as far as the public uh, knowledge. Uh, not too much, anyways. Everyone I've asked about it, uh, you know, they're like, "I've never heard of this place." Uh, the the other thing about it is that it's it's strange. The whole concept of taking apart a ancestral site and then moving it across the state and putting it into a place that's that's foreign to it. Um, and then I I did look on the website and I did see that a statement that says, "We invite you to imagine." It was what it was like to live over 700 years ago in a structure like this. Well, that's, you know, quote unquote. But what I was thinking when I read that was, what about the landscape? Because that is just as important, if not more important than just the site. That it's the very reason why that site existed. It's why the people, you know, put roots down where they did. It's, it's, the, it's everything about what's around there. And of course, you know, visitors that are going to these places, they don't see that. They don't see anything that the uh, ancestral folks would have seen.
0: Patrick, I, I felt the same way because I did, I looked at the, the website there for the attraction, and in all fairness, it does make it pretty clear that that the site has been relocated, but it's what the website doesn't say, right? It's what they omit, like regarding the landscape, regarding uh, some of these artifacts that are are being misidentified misrepresented um a, a lot of the history as to why it was relocated that's all missing, so earlier we had one of the guests say that they just think it just needs it, it just it just pretty much just needs to end there's not really any way to kind of fix it but in your mind, in your professional opinion, would there be a way do you think if to work with the the owners of that attraction? to make it more historically accurate? Or do you think it's just something from a bygone age that just really needs to to be shut down and, and go away?
10: Well, I would say, and this is more I mean, it's just my, my personal feelings, is just that uh, I don't know if there is a way to fix that. Uh, it's based all the way from the beginning as a as a, a lie. So I'm not sure, you know, how many band-aids you can put on this to to make it right. Um, and maybe it's possible that maybe that's one of the reasons why the the owners haven't been as willing to to address these issues, because the question is, I mean, can they address it? And what to to what extent would it finally be addressed that it's, you know, everything's made right?
0: Mm-hmm. We've got another caller on the line. Carl listening on K.O.Y.A. Sioux Nation. Carl, you're on the air.
11: Okay. <clears throat> Thank you for putting me on. I hope it comes in clear enough to understand. The uh, uh, We've had a family organization that has done a lot of uh, data entry on uh, uh, historical records and cultural history and information of that sort. And we worked uh, somewhat with the Government Bureau of Indian Affairs to... Uh, bring these records in closer for the tribes to be able to access them. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, of it. they had a mandate in 1961 to put the Indian records in three categories. I speak only for the Sioux Nation? <clears throat> but the categories were, number one, current use, number two, historical, and number three, records for destruction. That's what scared me because a lot of those records have... Um, uh, a lot of information about particular families. So we started extracting a lot of those records and acquisitioning them from the regional uh, archives back to more of a local uh, public access library. So we've done that, but the problem I got is the IRS, who uh, um, certifies your nonprofit organization. Uh, has been giving us a lot of trouble lately to keep our certification. And I'd like to find somebody that knows how to help uh, get that restored and renewed. Uh, That's kind of, they made it a very complicated process. And it's hard enough without them making it more complicated. But I think a lot of people have misused these kind of organizations, these 501c3s. So the government's tightened up the rules. But we never did uh, organize this to raise money, although we could, I guess. But uh, our main goal was to uh, give uh, the local tribal people, and I worked mostly with the uh, zoos, uh access to their own records, their own family records, because previously they couldn't do that. Very difficult to do. So we've extracted uh, probably the most ever public uh, Indian records of any, any group or any individual. So I'm just kind of looking for some help to get that restored and recertified. And there's probably some expense involved in doing that. And it might take a legal mind or a CPA to do that. And we have a family board. We've been in existence since, uh, well, I've been doing this kind of work since I was a youth in the 60s. And then in the 80s, when I found out about this mandate, then we went to work and certified it. In several states and IRS, and uh, so, but formally with the IRS, we've been in existence since 1993. But we've always had a tribal uh, uh, nonprofit as well as a state. I think we were certified at one time in uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, Nevada, Utah, and a few other states. I can't remember right now, but. Uh, that's what I'm looking for is some help to get that recertified because, uh, you know, people, uh, if they do contribute time or uh, currency or monetary funds, they, they could deduct that. Um, okay. And we have right. had professional librarians that have used it for deductions.
0: Okay. Carl, thank you so much for calling in. Patrick, could you respond to to Carl's questions and comments regarding assistance with some of these issues?
10: Uh you know I'm I'm not that's not something I'm really familiar with so I don't really feel comfortable mentioning anything and giving wrong information
0: Okay well let me ask you this Patrick what are some some real challenges that that you you deal with there with regard to museum curating and preservation of historical sites what are the the, the just the, the overall challenges that you and others that that work in that space have to face on a daily basis
10: Well, one of the things I wanted to mention was uh, that words matter, Uh, what you call things matter, Um, just because you have the name museum in your title. And, you know, thinking about places like Manitou, where they have the the title museum, right, on site. And so with the word museum comes a sense of authority, a sense of uh, holding the truth, holding factual information and... And uh, being uh, uh, sort of experts in it in it all, and so for the the general public to come in, there's sort of a, a trust, a trust that oh this is a museum, uh, these are the experts, and then you know you can put your faith in that. Um, and of course, you know, if you have a place that calls itself a museum but is not actually adhering to any sort of uh, truth in a sense. Um, it becomes dangerous you know it's it's a betrayal i think for the the general american public so so in some ways you can think about this as this you know the other the other callers have talked about how negative this is for indigenous communities uh at the same time this is a negative thing for for archaeology and scholarship because there's nothing to be learned from a site like this it's you know it's what they say is out of context um but then from the general American public, this is also a disservice because they're coming in believing that this is real and that they're actually learning something. You know, there's school groups that go to these, to the uh, this place. And I mean, they're, they're not collaborating with anyone. They're not uh, communicating or have any sort of uh, native uh, advisory board or any, so, anything, anything that might be like a oversight. So, I mean, that's, I know that's just a danger of, of uh, words, impact of words.
0: So what do you think is is the best course of action moving forward? Do you think uh, this is something that Pueblo people really need to, to galvanize on and maybe stage some protests, maybe make a formal issue with the people that run this uh, attraction? Or do you think maybe just... Uh, social media and just put a lot of Google reviews out there saying stay away from this place Uh, because apparently a lot of people go and visit it and they're making a lot of money and they're they're getting a lot of business. What's your thought on that?
10: I think that it needs to be more public. Um, I think it needs to be more public because I think people can decide for themselves whether or not they want to visit a place like this. If they go to a place like this they already understand that the uh, the background being um the, the you know the problems that it's had and i think that just public awareness is is important i do i would like to see the the pueblos sort of galvanize and and sort of tackle this issue um it's uh but it seems like a big headache uh I, it would take a lot of effort i think for for uh uh to to i think motivate not motivate but to to take on this action. One of your callers had talked about uh, the legal lengths that it might take to get this done. I do think that it should be done, though.
0: And, Patrick, what drew you to your career? What got you interested in museum curating?
10: Um, I, you know, I've uh, bounced back between uh, uh, museums and archaeology. I was always interested in doing stuff that had to do with uh the preservation or or just honestly just learning about my own people my own ancestry um so visiting archaeological sites is something i'd like to do Uh, i did it as part of the the park service um you know going to ancestral sites and walking the land and seeing the uh pottery sherds the broken pieces of pottery on the ground and seeing the the mountain peaks and everything around there that was part of the environment that they lived in and the places that they walked. So that's that's kind of what, what really sparked me into this. And then it's just sort of carried forward to the point where I'm uh, a caretaker of such items in museums.
0: Well, Patrick, thank you so much for those observations, those insights, your expertise. Uh, Raven, I want to give you the last word um, what plans do you have going forward with this whole issue, the Manitou Cliff Dwellings attraction?
4: Um, yeah, I think from from my perspective, um, I'm a huge believer in accountability. So whatever pressure we can put on the owners of this quote-unquote museum, um, I personally plan to do, whether it's through social media, continuing to Write emails to their ownership, um, making sure that the Chamber of Commerce and these tourists, um, you know, like Colorado Springs has a a tourist site, you know, and making sure that they are being either transparent or not promoting this institution. Um, Similarly, um, I would love to lend my support um, with the Pueblo Nations and what they determine is appropriate to repatriate these items or if it's updating language, um, I look to their leadership on what is most appropriate for their items um, and would love to facilitate that in any way that I could.
0: Well, that's all the time we have for our discussion today. As we wrap up, I do wish to thank all of our guests who spoke on our show, Mary Wiaki, Patrick Cruz, Monica Snowbird, and Raven Payment. For a timely conversation about awareness and understanding regarding the authenticity of native american historical sites and locations join us tomorrow as we discuss the fires happening in north america and get a glimpse into the challenging and often dangerous profession of fire suppression management i'm sean spruce thank you for listening to the one the only native america calling
3: Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com.
6: CMS program, I can CMS program, what the local Indian healthcare provider. i to healthcaregovernor one 318 2596 Center
5: for Medicare and Medicaid Service.